try and trust even a suicidal person a little. I mean, locking them up or taking them out of their lives completely doesn't help. It should probably evolve more around uh, supporting them in the little life they have created for themselves. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives. We almost never talk about it. We certainly do not talk about it enough. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. And if you check the show notes, you'll find another way you can reach out to us through a recorded message. And in those same show notes, you'll see all kinds of other information, including our programs and presentations, as well as our new membership. Before I share more about that, special thanks to several people who have been helping the podcast out in recent weeks and months. Sharon and CD and Carrie and Danny and Anne, Alfred and Donna. Now, if you'd like to support the podcast, and there are several ways to do that these days, What we need most from you, what we're asking from our listeners, is to become a member. So you'll see a link where it says membership in the show notes. You can also head over to suicidenoted.supercast.com. This changes nothing as far as every Monday us releasing a new conversation, but there are some perks involved for your financial support. And you should know for the month of March, we are offering a nice discount. So check it out. When I say we would like your financial support, I want to tell you exactly where that money will go. We're trying to reach more people in more places. You've heard me say that before. Why? To help them feel less shitty and less alone. And one of the ways we want to do that is to transcribe all of our episodes and translate them as well. So with audio and video and text in not only English but other languages, there will be many more people who have access to these conversations with survivors. And there are a lot of people who need to hear them, I think. So, if that's something that resonates with you, head over to suicidenoted.supercast.com. That link is also in the show notes. Now, back to today's episode. We are talking about suicide, as we always do every week. May not be a good fit for everyone, so please take that into account before or as you listen. But I do hope you listen, because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with Anne. Anne lives in Switzerland, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Anne. How's it going? I'm going okay. I'm very nervous, actually. <laughs> How are you? Ner- I wanted to be really organized about this, but now I feel uh, I'm like all over the place. So interrupt right. me if I get lost somewhere. <laughs> oh, don't worry. That's my job. <laughs> your, your job is not to give us a one-hour monologue. My job is to have a conversation with you. Are you by any chance Swiss-German? Uh, I'm actually German, but I moved here like uh, 11 years ago, based in Zurich. In Switzerland, that's the German part. Gotcha. So I'm talking with uh, Anne here, who's German, living in Switzerland, and there's a white room with the nice little sort of almost 
graffiti type piece of artwork behind her. You had said that you're nervous because you want to be organized. What is it that you want to be organized about? Well, you know, I'm I'm like in my late 30s, so uh, <laughs> I've been through a lot of uh, meltdowns and attempts. It's very hard to, to focus on, uh, like, like uh, let's say, the relevant parts of the story. That is, uh, I, I, I never like to compare, but I don't think it's uncommon for people to feel nervous or... When you say you've been through a lot of stuff, what do you uh, what do you mean? Well, like like I'm more or less uh, chronically suicidal, although I might not look like it. But I've I've been struggling with it more or less since uh, since I'm 14. So I uh, I kind of distinguish between actual suicide attempts and just uh, like high risk behavior slash meltdowns that made it like very close calls. There have been a lot over the years. The pattern kind of repeats itself. <laughs> when you when you say that you don't think you look like you're suicidal or chronically or passively suicidal, what what do you think people look like? I'm I'm just interpreting from the feedback I'm getting. So usually when I uh, when I tell people not too close friends, uh, they are really surprised <laughs> that uh, I used to be suicidal. I usually don't talk too much about it being chronically because uh, that puts a lot of pressure on people or stresses them out quite a bit. Yeah. yeah the reaction tends to be a surprise. Until last year, I used to think that at some point I would overcome it and I would never have to think about it again or I would have it under control. But um, I actually realized it's always in the background. And as soon as, as long as enough things are going well in my life, it's fine. <laughs> but if there are like two or three, three things going wrong at the same time, I'm in deep trouble. It, it, is, it is chronic and uh, like I think healthier for me to take it seriously rather than to think uh, I've overcome it and it'll never come back again. Were two or three or more things happening to you? when you decided to look for a podcast about suicide? Um, I actually looked for it last year. Uh, I've, been, I've been listening to it since May 2020. Uh, 22, sorry, sorry. Oh, May, so May 2022, over a year ago. Wow. I don't sleep well at night, so I always listen to podcasts. Uh, and I actually found that one really comforting. It's not very dramatic. and No one is shocked by the stories, and they tend to be very honest. Every story is very different. Uh, so I found, I found it very um, comforting that there are other people out there struggling um, uh, with the same issues, even though it's in a different way than I'm struggling. I wonder how many people whether they're doctors or others who would recommend, if you're having a hard time going to sleep, you should listen to suicide attempt survivor stories on a podcast. I wonder if it affects your dreams at all at night. Yeah, yeah you're thinking about it anyways, right? So there's no point in, in distracting yourself. I found uh, actually dealing with a topic a lot more effective. I know, but not everybody <laughs> feels that way. Do you? What was the difference of you listening and then deciding to reach out and talk? Um, it, it felt natural because I've listened to so many episodes. It felt like being past the torch. And the uh, second reason was actually um, I'm realizing I'm, I'm actually feeling a lot of shame that I'm dealing with this. I mean, you always you have like two options, right? You're not talking about it. and Then you're stuck with people around you who like know like 50% of you. Mm -hmm. uh, you talk about it and you risk losing friends for several uh, reasons, uh, for, for different reasons. I felt like um, talking about it would uh, help me getting rid of some of the shame at least. Yeah. 
Now, how many people do you know in your life that know you're talking to me about it? Well, actually, at this stage, there are three people. So um, my husband knows we're talking right now. Because that's mm. like my safety net for tonight. <laughs> and you have friends or family? No, I, I, don't, I don't involve my family in anything. I uh, tend to uh, talk to friends. There happen to be two friends uh, who know we're talking, not like now, but uh, they know the concept and they know I'm doing the podcast. You're still angry about Germany's World Cup? <laughs> no, because I'm supporting Switzerland. <laughs> Fair enough. You traded sides. Uh, so how many suicide attempts, however you define that, do you have in your life? I don't know. I actually can't count them anymore. If you, if you include like the, the meltdowns, probably more than 10. Do you remember first, the first time you thought about suicide, and then second, the first time you tried to end your life? Kind of started when I, when I was 14. I didn't really categorize it as suicide or depression or anything. That, to me, that was always a thing that people with real problems have. <laughs> I just felt I'm a bit strange and off, uh, something's wrong. Yeah, so I, I basically started uh, cutting myself a lot, picking up a, an eating disorder, and I started taking random pills I found at home. So without uh, any regard to what, what might happen by taking them. Yeah, I always felt like I, I would want to do it, but I'm not sure how, and I'm not sure if I, if I have the courage to do it. And that really drove me mad, because I felt like I keep thinking about it without ever doing it, which is uh, very stupid to do. Almost like a hell. Yeah, it's, it's like you're being trapped between life and death, right? You're, you can't manage to organize your life properly. You're not getting anywhere, but you're not dying either. When was the first? So 14, and you said, was it around that same time or shortly after? Sorry if I missed this, that you actually did try. No, I, I just kind of played around with it a lot. I didn't know how, because I'm, I'm a late 90s kid in the suburbs, so there wasn't a lot of information around neither in a good or a bad way. Yeah, so I, I just kind of toyed around with it and didn't know what to do with it, didn't know how to talk about it. So I just, uh, I don't know, I just filed it as uh, me being a bit weird and not really being good at life, basically. I, I didn't have the easiest, uh, let's say, upbringing. Mm -hmm. So I always had that dream in mind. Um, once I finish school, I will go to university, new city, new life, and everything will change and get better. And magic, <laughs> magic. Yeah. yeah. So, so I actually managed to do that. And it went great for like six months. And I did okay at university. I really liked it. I did find some friends. I had my own flat, but I wasn't really prepared for the depression kicking back in. Uh, I thought this would be done by now because <laughs> I've changed everything around me. I struggled a lot. I was I was struggling to pay attention at university because I was basically thinking about how shitty my life is and uh, why am I still bothering? I'm never going to get anywhere. I'm lonely and a complete idiot anyways. And that, and that kind of continued. And I always had the strange uh, feeling of um, being isolated and alone and even in company of people I liked. At any point from like 14 to college, seek any counseling or therapy? No, because I I didn't think it was it was necessary. I, I always thought I need to pull myself together a bit more and work a little mm. harder <laughs> to move on. You weren't trying? Well, you just think you could have done more. 
No, I was, I was very, like, very performance-oriented. So if uh, school was okay, it kind of meant I'm doing okay in life. So I, I went into complete meltdowns when I realized I don't have, like, the concentration level to, to work or to, sure, uh, yeah. to study. It never occurred to me that I need help or that something might be wrong. I just felt like I need to try harder and it'll be fine. And if I can't do that, I'm uh, just uh, somehow incapable. What were you studying? Uh, business. So not very mm-hmm. helpful to mental health. <laughs> Maybe may, may true. Was there anybody in your life, uh, teachers, friends, colleagues, anybody who said, you know uh, what, Anne, you don't seem to be doing so well. You may, might want to talk to somebody. No, not, not, not at the time. I knew my friends for like half a year, so it's not a very deep connection, although it's going well. And I think it takes a while until you figure out that someone is really struggling when you actually yeah. are social and like partying. Easy to kind of cover up, right? You're busy, you're yeah. drinking. You're... And was it at that, that point in your life when you attempted? When was the first attempt? That must have been at, I think it was 20. But it was a very calculated one. So basically, I did feel like my whole life was falling apart again. And I was like digressing to that, uh, that uh, teenage stage. And I was kind mm-hmm. of in a panic and I couldn't figure out how to fix it. Uh, yeah, it, it was like my, my head was tortured. I was torturing myself in my head. Uh, mm-hmm. It was just really tiring. I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't know how to reach out for help. I remember I was at a party with like most people I cared about and I was really exhausted by weeks of uh, suicide thoughts and stuff. I remember that exact moment that I took the decision because I was just there completely zoned out. I felt like, what's the point of still trying? I mean, I'm not having fun. It's not it's not getting anywhere. And then I kind of watched everyone having fun from a distant, uh, distance. And my logic conclusion was uh, uh, everyone else is fine without me. So what's what's the point of staying? I, I could just uh, quit. So I figured um, there are two reasons that like keep me in the in-between world. The space between. <laughs> it's copyrighted and trademarked. So can I still use it or will that cost me? Any guest of the Suicide Noted podcast, (laughs) of course. All right. Um, I I figured a very rational conclusion. If I managed to ruin university and all my friendships, I would be ready to leave that space and uh, at least make a a decision. So I I did that. Uh, I told basically everyone I'm quitting university. I've got other things planned, which technically wasn't a lie, but it meant I I couldn't go back to university. Then uh, ruining friendships, it's... uh, shockingly easy (laughs) totally agree with you for me too if someone were to say to me i'm quitting university i've got other plans and you know and i know what those plans are i might say oh really what are those plans i think i said something along the lines of i'm working on it i will tell you when i'm when i'm ready but i'm still working on it a lot of great decision making went on there I managed to do that, like stage one of uh, of the project. <laughs> and then uh, it took me like another month to take up the courage to actually uh, actually do it. So I had a very um, strict protocol of when to take which pill and when to drink vodka. So it should work. What? Where do you get the pills from? 
because you weren't on medication. No, no, no. Never. This is people you know or you're buying under the table, so to speak. Kind of, yeah. Oh, a little gray market or black market. And, and at the time, you're in Germany, not Switzerland, right? Exactly, yeah. You're saving up. You got the pills. You got some booze. Where are we at? Is it about early 2000s, mid-2000s? Yeah, mid-2000s, like 2005. You're in your early to mid-20s at that point, right? Early 20s? Yeah, I'm early, early 20s. Yeah, what happened that night? Well, I actually done a lot of research about uh, on the amount of pills I, I should take. I can't have been off by that much, actually. I, I must have done pretty well. I, I actually wanted, uh, that's the amount of self-care I had for myself. I wanted my last evening like to be a really nice one. I did, I did watch a nice movie. <laughs> Which movie? That, that part I can't remember. Um, the more important part was I put together a playlist. So uh, by the time I realized I was about to, to doze off, that I would be listening to um, good music. That was a lot more important to me. Do you remember any of the songs in the playlist? Yeah, yeah I've actually collected them. And I, I still remember the song I, I, I heard when I woke up. And years after that, I got sick when, when hearing that song. <laughs> so I, I took everything. Basically, I realized, okay, I'm about to doze off, put on my playlist. And I actually thought I had made it. I was really sure this was going to work. Kind of a shock. I kind of uh, woke up very disoriented the next morning. Music was still playing. And for a short moment, I was considering whether there's an afterlife and I've arrived there. Are you, I know you're not in the home you're in now because you're in a different country, but at the time, are you like in your apartment living alone? Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically, it, it took me a while to get to my senses. I realized, fuck, I'm still here. How, how is this possible? I cried for a bit, then I had to laugh. Then I felt the worst hangover I felt in my life. I kept uh, throwing up for like three days straight. So yeah, I must have slightly, just slightly over or underdosed. Um, maybe I've misjudged my weight. That might have happened. <laughs> maybe I was too optimistic there. So that's a tough day the next day, emotionally, physically. Yes. Do you tell anybody? No. During that time, I hadn't given up on the project just yet. When you woke up, you thought, I'm not done with this. We're going to try again. Not on that day, because I, I still felt like I was dying for the next three days. Uh, I was just miserable. Then it took me like another week uh, until I figured, okay, I still can't back, go back to university. I still have no friends. So one more try. I can, I can give it one more try. Then I basically got um, sharp knives. Because I thought the pills thing didn't didn't really work out for me, but I can still manage to self-injure myself. I might try that. Mm. And sensible decision making. So I basically experimented for like a month how and where to cut myself and at which emotional stage it's the it's, it's the easiest. So you had that set up, and now we're still in 2005, more or less, in Germany. And you try for the second time. And this time there's going to be blood. Yeah, so, so I tried again. But I found actually having a meltdown is easy because you're, you're like, yeah, your chances are like 50 or 60%. So you can leave it like to the universe to keep your life or not. It's a lot harder to be like 100%. That takes a lot of uh, self-manipulation <laughs> if you're like really sure this is going to work. But what do you mean when you say meltdown? Well, meltdown for me is like 
that happened to me a lot. Like you're really emotional and take like a potentially lethal amount of pills or you cut yourself or you do both. You're just taking the risk. That's like meltdown to me. So basically I, I did cut my wrist and just before I dozed off, I realized I uh, I kind of nailed the spot, but I wasn't sure whether it was enough. Uh, but at this moment, I, I couldn't be bothered to, to actually make sure this is going to work. So I uh, basically took chances. <laughs> I woke up the next morning again, finding out I'm uh, even too stupid to kill myself. Uh, I don't even have that in me. When you try that way, I imagine you're bloodied up, scarred up, mangled up, something, right? Mm-hmm. Like pa- painful. Um, no, if you cut deep enough, it's actually quite a rush. Not not trying to advertise it, but <laughs> if you were to show me, if you were to show me your wrist right now, would I see a scar? Well, actually, that one it's very old. If you know something about self injury, yeah, you know exactly what it is. And actually, I had to cut on my right hand because uh, the, the left hand was so wounded i couldn't find like the veins anymore so is so, it safe to say in this period of your life you were not somebody who just wanted the pain to go away you wanted to die yeah as you were especially in the last attempt you were cutting and were you also drinking yeah because that uh, i realized made me more emotional and made it easier mm-hmm. Sometimes people say they're they're so very before and during, so very um, like tunnel vision. Is that how you felt, or were you also able to think of other things like what about school or what about my family, or was it just boom done? I I, I did think about it, but I always got back to the point. Oh yeah, I've, I've burned that bridge. I can't go back. <laughs> so this is the path. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what all that preparation was what was meant for but you lived obviously yes and the problem is i don't know if it's the problem if someone tells me i've been struggling since 14 in my early 20s i tried twice in a short period of time you know what i'm thinking right when's the next time unless something radical changes there's going to be a third time yeah, but it, it, it changed. So basically, uh, I got out of the second one and I realized I, I don't have the strength to try a third time. I can't and I can't go back to life. I didn't know what to do. So I basically took like the bus to the city center, uh, looked for a therapist and jo- just yeah. showed up there. Yeah, that's the first wise decision I made in that time. Yeah, like what was the difference of you finally going to... Get some professional help there, do you think? It was just age or experience or fear? It was just pure desperation because I, I realized I, I, I wouldn't be able to do anything on my own. And uh... But you know, that tells me something and I'm trying, I'm probably simplifying things. Mm-hmm. People that go to get that kind of help want to live. So the way I think about it now, most of the time, is I, I always want to live and I really love life. I mean, I'm, I'm, I really appreciate everything. Still, it's, it kind of doesn't stop like the suicidal thoughts, pain and stuff. I think when uh, sometimes it's just off balance, right? So when the pain outweighs everything else, you, you just get kind of lost and kind of lose control over that area. And that's, that's the way I'm looking at it now. Yeah, I think it's hard for a lot of people to understand that you can be doing okay and feel that way. Yeah. How many people know about those two attempts? 
Well, at the time, not an awful lot. Like and now, it, it's it's like such a long time ago. It's like more than fifteen years. Uh, I'm not sure. Like here around me, like maybe six people. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's a story you can tell like within ten minutes. That odd thing that you did like fifteen yeah. years ago. I mean, uh, I suppose you're the first person I've talked to in Switzerland about this. So I don't know how things work in Switzerland generally. It's kind of a conservative country in some ways. Other ways, it's quite liberal, I know. But I don't know what your social circles are like. I know you probably married somebody who's somewhat understanding, right? Or you wouldn't have married him. Uh, he's very understanding. Uh, yeah, I got lucky there. Well, he did too. How was the therapy then when you went back those years ago to try to get help? Oh, actually, um, uh, like the therapist came to the conclusion that I really should be in a like mental hospital because I'm a danger to myself. Mm. But they actually asked me to go there by myself uh, to kind of introduce myself. So I did that, and just when I arrived, I got like I got cold feet, and I backed out, and I, I went home like, no, I, I can try a third time. I'm not going to like this psychiatric hospital. Not gonna do it. How long did they want you to stay there? It, it's not like a fixed program. They take you on, and I think the average day is like uh, two to three months. But um, I didn't end up going there. So basically, um, therapists uh, had calls between themselves and uh, decided to call the police. <laughs> I heard something weird at the door, someone messing with my lock. So I opened the door and it was like the criminal police uh, in front of my flat. And they told me, yeah, the therapist was worried about you. We're going to take you to the mental hospital and they're going to check you out. At that point, I thought, like, I'm going to talk my way out of it easily like no one's gonna keep me there yeah of course that didn't work so I was like in uh, like like closed psychiatry for like a week which is really a completely useless institution uh, then I was transferred to like a more um, therapeutic hospital uh, which are actually pretty good in Germany to be honest they kept me on there for like seven months I tried to leave before, but they kind of suggested that they might get a, um, a warrant for me to stay because uh, I, I was not so stable. So yeah, I spent seven months there. And the good thing about staying there is like you have a safe base to build up your life again. So I tried to register with university. I'd lost a year, but I was able to start again. Yeah, you can slowly kind of start to um, go back to normal life. A long time. Yeah, it was a long time. I actually was the uh, longest staying uh, patient there for quite a bit. Did you uh, make some friends there? Uh, unfortunately, I picked up a relationship there, which is not a good idea, I realized later on. Yeah, I made friends and I and actually ended up with a relationship. Didn't last in the end. Well, so, I know. Yeah. You would have said he was your husband. He's my ex-husband. So. <laughs> oh, you have two husbands, your ex and now current? Yes. All right. So that's a long time to be somewhere. So when you got out, what year are we talking about when you got out of that place for all those months? Uh, 2006, I think. 16 or 17 years until this day. How many suicide attempts have you had or more major meltdowns? However you want to define all this stuff. I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe 10, 10, 11. When was the last one? The last summer, actually. At the same time, that was the scariest one for me, actually, and my husband as well. Okay. 
I want to hear about that. I'm also wondering, like, how often are these meltdowns happening? So after I got out of the hospital, it was uh, more frequent because I wasn't really stable yet and uh, dealing with like some pressure and stuff uh, was really tough. That kind of stabilized over time. So that got better. After I finished university, um, it happened like once a year. So like the breaks in between got bigger, I felt, because you kind of get used to certain kinds of pressures. And only if something new comes up or something extraordinary happens, you're kind of put off balance. So um, after that, I was I was quite okay for a very long time. I'm not completely sure why, but last summer, so like most of my life, I, I, I couldn't remember like my childhood. I had like a very vague memory of what it was like. And for some reason, like all of a sudden, out of nowhere, like a lot of memories were coming back um, of me being abused in all different kinds of ways. I don't know. It, it was like the doors to hell suddenly opened. Like this, this depressive, suicidal thing got stronger and stronger. And all I could think about was like, I've, I've got this hell inside of me. There's nothing I can do to really uh, battle it. It'll always be with me and whatever I do to cope. Uh, will never ever be enough that kind of stuck with me for a long time and then uh, after a while I was convinced this is going to be my last summer and at some point I will like be emotional enough to actually try again so I uh, collected some strong pills I found at home I uh, had very sharp short knives so basically, I kept them in a, in, a, in a small thing I kept carrying around with me all day because I knew that the time would come when I'll be ready <laughs> and I'll just try for that. Unfortunately, my, or fortunately, whichever way you want to look at it, my husband picked up on it and he just removed it without telling me anything. At some point, I felt like this is the time I'm ready and I looked for my stuff and it was gone. I really, I, I had a major meltdown. So I went home, mm. got into an, a random argument with him just for, to make sure he's going to leave the house, which he did. Uh, I couldn't find my stuff anywhere. So I just took other random pills and uh, a bottle of rum and I basically drowned all, all of that down. Yeah, apparently that wasn't enough either. I only, um, the next day, I, I, I kind of looked at what I had taken and what, um, what would be lethal. Again, it turned out I wasn't off by that much. So it wasn't enough, but it, it actually could have worked. Not your time, but all the other attempts were also the same method? Um, usually a mixture of uh, pills and cutting. You know what? You're not very good at that. I know, I know. <laughs> so your husband found out about that night? Yeah, yeah, because uh, I, I was kind of uh, completely drunk and half passed out when he, when he got home. When you think back to any of your attempts, do you wish any of them or perhaps all of them uh, had worked? Um, like as of today, no. Um, I kind of I kind of try to look at it like it's not something that I want. It's something that haunts me and I try to get away off constantly. Mm -hmm, <laughs> I have to, to work a lot around to uh, not to get drawn back in. I usually don't think I wish they had work. I usually just think, oh, God, uh, why? there are so many car accidents. Why am I not involved in one? That's all I like to come right. across pattern. Is there anything that you do in your life that makes you feel a little less shitty? 
Um, a lot, actually. I think all my all my activities involve around that. So I'm actually very proud that I've been constantly working for like ten years in two different jobs. So that's uh, rather unusual and <laughs> to hang on to it. I do a lot of sports. I have a rather stable circle of friends. Uh, I do engage in uh, club activities and stuff. Yeah, so I'm doing all the stuff that you're supposed to do to um, stay out of trouble. The, the, the issue is more as soon as I try to calm down or have a relaxed moment, it kind of catches up with you. So then you have to come up with a new project or a new stupid thing to do. Do you think that whether it was from a doctor or just from whatever other place or resource that you have a diagnosis that you think is correct? Um, so the diagnosis then was borderline. With the description they have now, they, they, involved, they evolved over time. I think that kind of fits. But it keeps changing, right? When, whenever yeah. you think you've, you've solved a problem or you've, you've progressed, then uh, it kind of progresses with you and then you have to come up with something new. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, uh, I mean, I know you can only speak about your own experience. How do you think Switzerland handles mental health crises, suicide? I have never been in the system here, actually. I'm not sure. uh, Last summer, um, I actually did research what what was possible. And um, my issue with um, like interventions is that they kind of take you out of your life. Oh, yeah. Once you get out, um, you have to build up your life again from scratch. I, I, I don't think it's the, the most helpful way to do it. You kind of have to make a decision to give up on everything you've uh, you've kind of achieved and built up just oh. to survive. That that's actually the exact reason why I decided not to get any help because I uh, I felt like I, I'm ra- I'm rather gonna die than seeing my whole life going up in flames again. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> It's complicated and confusing. Yeah. Are there any myths that you think are bullshit? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, all, all, all that stuff, the, the regular um, advice, like work out, be social and stuff, all of it helps. It does, but mm-hmm. still it cannot be enough. So you can do the, all the right things, but it can still like uh, mm-hmm. hit you. For me, at least, doing yoga and uh, like finding the path to yourself is not the solution because uh, relaxing puts me into hell. So, uh, but that's uh, that's an advice I get a lot because I'm always rather intense and uh, stressed out. But that's on purpose actually, <laughs> and I rather enjoy that. Yeah. Other than that, I feel like most people don't want to die. They just don't want to put up with the life they've been given or they have to deal with. Yeah, I agree. I have one more question, but before I ask that, I want to ask you if you have anything else you want to share, especially because you said when we first started talking less than an hour ago, by the way, um, you had a lot on your mind, you were trying to organize a lot. And I'm sure some of it came out in our conversation, but there might be stuff that we didn't address that you might want to bring up. Yeah, I'm, 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 not, I'm not sure how to, uh, actually, I haven't really found a solution to that. I'm not really sure how to deal with it with other people. Like you're putting a lot of pressure on the people around you if you talk about it. Yeah. That's um, (laughs) maybe not the nicest thing to do. How to deal with it and how to talk to people about it. Yeah. And for them to let them kind of notify them, look, I'm kind of unstable and uh, you have to expect anything from me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
kinds of problems. I'm an expert at either surviving or I'm, I'm really lousy at my attempts. I feel like you, you should try and trust um, even a suicidal person a little. I mean, locking them up or taking them out of their lives completely doesn't help. It should probably evolve more around uh, supporting them in the little life they have created for themselves. Otherwise, you're putting them back to square one. Or like square zero. Yeah. How do you say zero in German? Uh, null. Ooh, very different. Okay. How do you say suicide in German? Uh, that's the same. That's a sweet seat. We took that from you. You didn't take it from us. <laughs> I haven't asked one question I always ask. Do you know what it is? Will I make it to 39? June 2023, you'll be 39. June 2024, you'll be 40. You're married. Do you have any children? No, no. That's oh. not really responsible for me to have children, to be honest. <laughs> Let's not say 39. Let's go 40. It's a little rounder number. Will you be alive at 40 years old, June 2024? I'm not sure whether I'll have any more uh, like meltdowns or attempts, but I'm pretty confident that like the, either the incapable side or the, the strong side will, will always be like a tiny tad stronger. It probably won't be a straight line and it uh, won't be like a, a simple path, but I'm mm -hmm. pretty sure I'll still be around. Definitely not a straight line or a simple path. <laughs> but maybe sometimes that's all we need is for that other part just to be a little bit stronger. Yeah. And then you're still around. And hopefully you're not, you're doing okay in that time, ideally, right? I mean, because nobody wants to be suffering or in a lot of pain for so long. Nobody. Do you think when this podcast, our our conversation comes out, slightly edited conversation, and the world hears it on some Monday in the future, you or anybody in your life might actually listen to it? Well, I'm pretty sure my husband will listen to it because uh, he knows so much about it. About the rest, I'm not sure. I haven't made up my mind yet. <laughs> You've got time. Well, and you rock. Thank you very much for reaching out and connecting and talking and being open. And I'm, I hope you feel good about what you shared, because at least from my point of view, it was very, very clear and organized, um, which is important for a podcast so people can hear it and understand it. Perfect. Awesome. Awesome. I hope your evening, uh, late evening now in Switzerland goes well. And thank you again. Thank you. Ciao. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Anne in Switzerland. Thank you, Anne. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. And remember, we would love your support. Check out the link in the show notes where it says membership. Or if you prefer, go over to suicidenoted.supercast.com. And if it's something you'd like to help us with, well, we would be very grateful and we would take your help. And that is all for episode number 150. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.